You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is served. Today on Justice is Served, black men, white cops, a deadly combination in America. Then the latest on the Cosby sex scandal, new allegations accusing America's favorite dad of being the ultimate creep. Plus, pardon me, Hollywood superstar Mark Wahlberg is asking the governor of Massachusetts to clear his name. And revenge porn. Sorry, but you can't post naked photos of your ex on the internet. Welcome to Justice is Served. I'm Sarah Azari, your host. I'm a criminal defense attorney and legal analyst. <laughs> and with me today is my co-host, Chelsea Galicia, also an attorney. And we have a very, very special guest with us, uh, Dan Stormer. Dan is a leading civil rights attorney in the country and also a very renowned international human rights lawyer. He has obtained multi-million dollar verdicts uh, in um, civil rights cases against police departments and various governmental agencies across the nation. So welcome, Dan, to the show. Good to be here. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. And I can't think of a more perfect person to be here and talk to us about our case of the week today. Um the issue of African-American men across the country being shot and killed by white police officers. Um, this is happening not just in rural Ferguson, Missouri, and not just in metropolitan New York City. It's happening all over the place, I think, in Cleveland, Ohio, in Phoenix, in North Carolina. And um, the question is, and, I, and I, I'm curious to see what your thoughts are, Dan, is this racist law enforcement? Is this... Um, White policemen targeting African American men. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt. Of course, it is. It, it there's a long history in our society of racism among law enforcement officers, and that racism, while in some ways has lessened with more open hiring policies and policies that require more people of color to be participants in the employment process, it still exists to a tremendous extent, and you see it play out all over the country all of the time. I would make one slight amendment. It is primarily white men against black men, white police officers against black victims of their brutality. But there is a, a sort of an or, overarching issue that, that comes into play here and is that is that police departments are by nature bastions of prejudice. I have had cases where my clients who were Latino were shot and killed by Latino police officers because what is taught in the police academy and in police departments is essentially racism, is that you get to stereotype, you get to profile, you get to treat people as objects and as stereotypes. So it extends beyond white on black, 
it extends to people of color upon people of color because of the nature of police departments. And, and I think Attorney General Eric Holder made a statement in response to what happened with um, Eric Garner in New York that police officers are racist. I think that's what he was talking about, that they're all racist and that the feds now are getting involved in response to this and doing a de-bias training, um, with, with, which is what they've done in Seattle and some other cities. Um, for me, it was interesting because it's almost like taking the cops carte blanche away. Um, he now has to stop and think about what he's going to do and what you know, what color skin the assailant has and whether it's okay to do it or not. And a lot of police officers, I think, have sued the federal government and Eric Holder because they feel like their lives are at risk because of this depolicing, essentially. But um, if your life is at risk because you're no longer allowed to be racist. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. On that, on that note, um, I also, uh, you know, last week or, yeah, last week when the news broke out about Garner, you know, the nation was still in outrage over what happened in Ferguson with the shooting death of Michael Brown. And uh, people were protesting all over the, you know, all over the nation. There was this sort of, we were all trying to process what happened with the grand jury in, in Michael Brown and the fact that they didn't indict Officer Wilson. And bam, the news broke out that um, the grand jury in New York City failed to indict, came back no bill, and failed to indict uh, um, Officer Pantaleo of the New York Police Department for the choking death of Eric Garner. Um, unlike Ferguson, where we had to rely on testimony as to why Officer Wilson shot and killed uh, Michael Brown in in Eric, in the Eric Garner scenario, we actually have a video, and I think it's important for the viewers to watch this. I'm sure a lot of us have seen it. It's rather disturbing, but I, I think before we go further, we should see what happened in New York City and Staten Island. You play all hard way for what? Every time you see me, you want to mess with me. I'm tired of it. This time today. This guy right here is forcing me, trying to lock somebody Everybody up for breaking up a fight. Everybody standing there, they told me I didn't do nothing. I did not sell nothing. Because every time you see me, you want to harass me, you want to stop me, you want to sell a cigarette. I'm minding my business, officer. I'm minding my business. Please just leave me alone. I told you the last time, please just leave me alone. Very disturbing. Um, I, I can't, I can't, you know, nine weeks of deliberation, I think 50 witnesses and 60 exhibits, including this video. I think this video alone uh, would should have uh, returned an indictment against Officer Pantaleo. But what do you think, Dan and Chelsea, what do, what do you think uh, is the impact of the fact that there is no indictment on a civil suit against the New York Police Department? Well, first, I, I, I just want to back up a little bit and try and understand if it's possible to understand why there was no indictment. Uh, because to most of us, it seems outrageous. And and I don't know if it justifies it, but the only thing that I could figure out was that 
Officer Pantaleo, in his hours of testimony before the grand jury, successfully convinced these 23 members, half of who were white, a quarter were uh, said to be black and a quarter Hispanic, that he didn't intend to kill him and that he didn't know that that maneuver, which was just a takedown maneuver that he learned at the academy and not a chokehold. <laughs> His is, words, not mine. Right. But chokeholds are against the policy in the New York right. Police Department. So that, uh, but there but must- this is not defined in their policies as a chokehold. This, it is not. It is not. The, I'm sorry. This is what, a caress? Yes. The, yeah, this is a caress. <laughs> this is a carotid, a carotid hold, which is intended supposedly to cut off uh, blood flow to the brain, therefore causing you to pass out, as opposed to a chokehold, which is essentially a, a, a cutting off uh, your ability to but breathe. But didn't the coroner determine that the cause of death was, was him being choked? Oh, yes. absolutely. I'm just saying that their position on this, that the it's position co- that was put forth, yeah. I was see. it wasn't really a chokehold. I mean, he was yeah. just overweight, and so he well, deserved Oh, to God, I got so much to say about that. But just the that apparently the only way that we got this no indictment was that Pantaleo successfully convinced these people that he didn't mean to kill him, that he didn't know that what he was doing was a substantial risk to this man's life. I, because I, of his size and his illness and he, he well, was asthmatic, wasn't he? Well, at the time, they didn't know about <clears throat> the risk. They didn't know his health background. Obviously, you could see that he's overweight. But we all know that that's not grounds to essentially kill someone right. uh, for selling loose cigarettes it's not the crime of the century right, right. <laughs> essentially so uh, people who are blaming his health um you know diabetes and hypertension those were contributory but that is not the cause and i think that people are not really clear on the difference the medical examiner said that what caused the death was the Choking. choke mm-hmm. and the officers compression on his chest Mm -hmm. not the high blood pressure not his diabetes probably had high cholesterol not his own weight none of that so Mm uh i i just wanted to backtrack on that and 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 talk about the only that's the only plausible reason that i could see how this grand jury came back with their decision do you uh, the answer is actually in my opinion very easy is the prosecutor didn't didn't want one I mean, there's a famous federal judge, Saul Wachtel, who said that a good prosecutor could indict a ham sandwich mm-hmm. if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. And the, it's same in, in Ferguson and in New York, is that they gave the police officers the opportunity to tell a one-sided, uncross-examined narrative. tale, just a narrative, mm-hmm. to the grand jury. And they were probably reasonably appealing guys who you know, have families. And I'm sure there were a whole bunch of things that were worked into the process about mm-hmm. how badly they felt. Uh, and they were allowed, essentially, to talk their way out of it. A mm-hmm. typical grand jury would have shown that video would have looked at the circumstances surrounded and would have indicted in a second. That's mm-hmm. point one. Point two is they o- they did not go for reckless endangerment. They didn't offer up the possibility to the grand jury of reckless endangerment. What does that mean? Can you it it is a means? lower level, one, if you want to explain. No, no, you can okay. go ahead. It is a lower level than a, uh, a murder one or involuntary manslaughter. It is where you place someone 
else's uh, well-being in jeopardy as a result of either reckless or intentional behavior. So then they would have been on the hook for leaving him there on the ground when he is struggling and not getting him medical attention. Actually, no, even before then, they would have been on the hook for their behavior in taking him down and and applying the hold. And uh, this would be a classic reckless endangerment, but the prosecutor chose not to present Instruct, correct, yeah. And uh, what do you, Dan, what do you think? Take a step back to answer your question. Yes. It has no impact on the the civil case. So would it have helped the civil case if he was indicted, if if he was indicted and tried and then found guilty? Yes, it would have, it would have been helped. A, a determination because it's a higher standard of proof beyond mm-hmm. a reasonable doubt. Uh, it would have been a determination essentially of liability and thereafter it would have been a question of damages. I see. Okay. But he still, his family, I think his family has uh, sued the New York Police Department and the city of New York for... Uh, $75 million, which, you know, people can, we can all claim whatever we want in a complaint. Doesn't mean necessarily that we'll get that. But, uh, so they can pre- still proceed with a civil case despite this, um, no bill by the grand jury. Absolutely. And what specifically is the civil claim going to? before and how are they going to win? Well, it'll be several things. One is it'll be what's called a 42 USC 1983 claim, which is a civil rights claim in federal court. It will also be claims for assault, battery, uh, reckless, some version, a civil version of reckless endangerment, intentional infliction of emotional distress, a whole series of, of claims. And basically the 1983 section is about the excessive force and also the witnessing officer's failure to intervene. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. And what is, um, so what are your thoughts about the federal government's response and this debiasing of uh, police officers, um, essentially taking away their power to make arrests as they see fit if the person is of color? Well, I don't know if they're taking away the police officer's ability to arrest them <laughs> if they see fit, but obviously there is something wrong system-wide, and it's about time that we have leaders acknowledging that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the de-bias, I don't know exactly how it will work. Um, there's probably going to be attempts that won't work, and I hope that doesn't dissuade people from supporting it. Mm-hmm. Not everything we try is going to work the first time. Maybe we're going to find different methods to do it. But it's about time, and we've got to take it seriously. And there's, there's also a response about, uh, you know, President Obama is planning on spending... I think um, another $75 million on equip- equipping uh, police officers with camera-ready uniforms. Well, we saw that that's not exactly helpful because in this case, we had a video. Mm-hmm. But the problem with the video is that you can, the person in the video can talk their way out of intent. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't really know how helpful they'll be. I was much more supportive of it before the Eric Garner non-indictment mm-hmm. decision came down. What do you think? I think that uh, those cameras are incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. In this case, the city will be held civilly liable, and it will pay millions of dollars in damages to the family. Uh, and 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 cities, corporate like corporations, other entities, uh, 
respond to their wallets. And if they get hit with a few more of those, then it'll, it'll make a big difference. So I'm a very big fan, fan yeah. of the of the videos. Well, and I, also, um, but you know, as a defense attorney, I also think about the police officer who's going to say, oh, the battery died. That's why it was off. I mean, you know, there's also the technical issues that that camera's going to have a certain vantage point and it's going to cut off, uh, you know, Perhaps it'll only um, capture a certain distance away from the police officer. And then, you know, it has to be on, right? It has to be on. It has to be functioning. And I can just see police officers talking their way out of why theirs were not working on that day. A good reason why we all have cell phones is so that as citizens, we can still be vigilant witnesses. Like the bystander in Garner. Well, you may remember that for several years, when when cell phones first came out with video capacity, there a number of entities passed laws saying that witnesses, bystanders, could not, in fact, take videos of police officers in the performance of their duties, because mm-hmm. it supposedly endangered police officers. Those were all thrown out. Just a quick point on what you talked about, the uh, the the miraculous failures that take place with those here in 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 Los Angeles, I think there were two hundred cars that were supposedly outfitted mm-hmm. with video capacity, and none of them were working. And Beck, the chief of police, let that continue. Yeah, and yeah, and yet he's he's supposedly supportive of this. But um, I know from the, the the Santa Monica Police Department, some of my cases uh, are against the police department in Santa Monica and they have, I think most if not all their cars are equipped with cameras but half the time I can't get a video out of them because it wasn't on or it wasn't working so I'm not sure how effective you know spending all this money on something like this is going to be in terms of a response to this issue well uh, even if it dissuades some officers from using excessive force because they think I don't know if my camera's working or not but it might be um, and they have to think twice a deterrent is not a bad thing, even if it doesn't actually work all the time. No, I agree. And Dan, have you had a case that is, um, I doubt there's a case out there that's so close to Garner, but have you had a case where you've represented an African-American or someone of color in a situation where they have been shot to death or otherwise killed by police officers? Oh, absolutely. And it is. I mean, I had a case very recently, just this in, in the past couple of months, where an African American youth, twenty-two year old kid, uh, recent graduate of Berkeley, mm-hmm. uh, his father was essentially being harassed by the police department, mm-hmm. uh, and it, this didn't end up in his death. I mean, luckily, but he ended up. Uh, there was a videotape which really helped him uh, tremendously. Uh, just he ended up being tased in the groin four times uh, because he came out and he said, "Is there any, can you, can you not arrest my dad?" I mean, that was what he said, and every every one of the bystanders went along with it, and then they just took him down and started what, stood ethnicity? over him. He was African American. Okay, the officers were uh, primarily Latino. And that's one of the, one of the issues is the profiling that is allowed by police departments. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had I've had, as I said earlier, uh, clients who've been shot while standing there with their hands up. By what agency officers. was this? If you are allowed well, to it's, say, well, it, it's It's uniform. I mean, it's the LAPD. Mm-hmm. It's the L. It's the sheriff's departments. It's you know the. Colton Police Department. It's the 
the you know the May uh, Maywood Police Department, which got disbanded. I mean, it's a it it is a function of the system of the system. And how how is there any way for citizens to keep the pressure? On. Well, one of the uh, you, the two of you may not remember a, a person by the name of Michael Zinzin. Michael was an incredible advocate of citizen review boards, and one of the one of the best things is what has taken place recently, which is just today, in fact, or it was voted on yesterday, was the creation of a citizen review board for the sheriff's department. There is one for the police department, which has been essentially useless for years and years, but has recently started feeling its oats. Police review boards are wonderful things. What can individuals do? They can videotape. They cannot accept the idea that uh, that when the police say, well, he reached for his waistband. I mean, every case you have, oh, he reached for his waistband. And when, of course, when they do the search, there's no, there's no gun, there's no knife, there's no nothing. So why would he be reaching for his yeah. waistband? Does he want to scratch his belly? And then they shoot him. Do you think that there will be real change, or will this be like Rodney King and Reginald Denny, where we had people up in arms for a short period of time, and then I, I, I don't know if I saw much difference. After. Well, you did see a difference. I mean, I, I, I am. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Uh, you did see a difference, and you've seen a tremendous difference in police departments over the years. It is, it moves at a snail's pace, and it moves very slowly. But and when you get to the Cosby section of of, mm-hmm. of, of this segment, it, it's similar to that. There is tremendous improvement. There were not the protests like this. I mean, it was accepted for years and years when when Rodney King got beat up by the police that was accepted practice for years and years if you ran you got the crap kicked out of you when you got caught everybody was allowed to do that so a lot of that has changed so i am i'm actually optimistic i think uh these tragic deaths cause an examination the 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 poor kid uh the 12-year-old who was shot with a pellet gun by the police officer, African-American kid in the projects playing with a pellet gun, cop pulls up less than two seconds, the cop shoots him. Less than two seconds, cop gets out of his car and shoots him. Uh, Training, bias training, all of those things are having an incremental effect and people are speaking out more so than ever. Sorry for rambling no, on. No, no, it's really important information for us and our viewers. Okay, so uh, moving on to On the Docket, our first uh, case that we're going to discuss is, of course, the Cosby sex scandal, which continues. We talked a little bit about it last week, but since then, there have been three former Playboy bunnies who have come forward and accused Bill Cosby of drugging and raping them and sexually assaulting them. And there's also been one lawsuit filed amongst all these accusers. So with respect to the the former Playboy bunnies, and no offense to former Playboy bunnies, but, you know, there's that question that's often asked, can prostitutes be raped, right? And, And yes, they can. But it's it's a similar question in this situation is that is the former Playboy bunnies are are, are their uh, is their credibility the same as these other accusers? Because these are women in their twilight years, they're 
you know, regular women. Some of them were secretaries in the entertainment business. Some of them were managers. Um, You know, now we're sexing it up. We're sexing this group up with former Playboy bunnies. And the question is, do they have less credibility? And if they do, is that going to impact the credibility of the remaining accusers? I don't think anymore that we stigmatize as much Playboy bunnies, probably in part because of the reality show that they did humanize them. We saw them as as women, some of whom were intelligent and ambitious and relatable. And so once we relate to those women, we stigmatize them less. And I think that they can be credible, especially in numbers. Uh, I think that helps that right because i think the issue here is is you know normally in a case like this you have he said she said and here you have he said she said she said she said she said and it's just never ending um but there's also um i i don't know i i just think as you know marty singer cosby's attorney is going to go to town now with you know before he just had janice dickinson who lacked a lot of credibility now he has yeah three women as well and i and 20 women and one of them, twenty women, correct. One of the uh, former um, Playboy bunnies said that she knows personally of up to twelve that had this experience, but won't come forward. Yes. So mm-hmm. perhaps in time they will. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I would point out is, as a criminal defense attorney, you mm-hmm. know, the jury believes the person that's in front of them. They don't believe the person that was the person. 10 years ago. And these women will present a particularly credible presentation if it ever comes to that sort of uh, hearing. The other thing because is... Because they won't look like Playboy bunnies they anymore. Won't look like, but you also have to remember what a Playboy... Compare Beyonce and, <laughs> and her recent performances to what a Playboy bunny looked like, and it's not even the same... Right, it's not universe. controversial anymore. Yeah, it's the not. The outfits and... No. Right. Uh, meaning Playboy bunnies are way more tame than yes. some of the yes. <laughs> rock stars that we see today. Um, okay, and... And the Victoria's Secret models that we watched last, last night. Last night, exactly. So Gloria Allred, uh, we briefly touched upon this last week because as we were taping the show, uh, there was a press conference with Gloria Allred and these three women coming forward. So Gloria Allred is now taking center stage and she's always involved in the most sensational cases. This one brings to mind the Tiger Woods sex scandal. And so she's here and she's telling Cosby, hey, set aside $100 million, waive the statute of limitations, is let's just go to court and let's be done with this and let the judge figure out the truth. As preposterous as that sounds, um, my question is, is she taking center stage for self-promotion because there's that, you know, about her? Um, Or does she really, is she really um, out for the cause? I'm I'm not sure those are mutually exclusive. Could be that both are true. (laughs) True. And I think some people seek her out because they know that she has the ability to get attention. And uh, so there might be some uh, women who they know what they're signing up for when they go seek out Gloria Allred. This is her thing. And uh, be it promotes herself and it highlights what's going on in these cases. So Because she is the person we expect to see when something yeah, like this comes so up. I've I won't known, speak badly of her. Uh, I, I, I've known, I, I know Gloria and I consider her a friend. Uh, Gloria was around doing this same type of behavior 30, 35 years ago, 25, 2015. She has been a voice on behalf of women for 
I mean, she's probably resent this decades. <laughs> but <laughs> hopefully, uh, she's not tuning she, in. And she is who she is. This is what she does. Yes. And there is no one more committed to those issues than Gloria. How she delivers them sometimes is controversial, but her commitment to issues of feminism cannot be challenged in any fashion, in my opinion. Well, and, and the LAPD, Chief Beck, has responded that the, the LAPD is taking these allegations very, very seriously. He's They're going to investigate each and every one of them, irrespective of how old the allegations or the claims are. I'm, I'm glad that they're taking it seriously, but how seriously can you conduct an investigation for something that's 30 years old? I mean, they went to talk to Hugh Hefner. That's great. But well, yeah, I, I'm not sure what what they can really find at this point. True, true. But at least it has the appearance like they are. They're not being dismissive about uh, these women's claims. And there's one lawsuit filed by a Riverside woman named Judy. I think Huth is how you pronounce her name. And she's claiming that Cosby met her when she was 15, that he forced her to masturbate him at the Playboy Mansion, and that this has caused severe emotional distress in her, but that she didn't connect her distress to these uh, these incidents until just recently in the past three years. So uh, this woman and, and Cosby's response by his lawyer that was filed to the complaint, Cosby says she has asked uh, first for $100,000 from me, then $250,000. Both have been rejected um, for her to stay quiet. And she had tried to go to a tabloid and it failed. They didn't buy her story. So is this starting to look more like a shakedown? I, I don't think that that by itself is showing that this is a shakedown because when uh, she sought that, that money, 100000 later 250 that is that may not have said, give me this money or I'll talk. That was, I've experienced this injury, this distress. I feel like $100,000 is fair damages. You know, if you would like to do this outside of court, we can handle this ourselves. Like a settlement this offer. Is, yeah, this is what I'm asking. And... But it's what about easy. the tabloid uh, pitch? Do we know that that's true? Well, it's well, well, Marty we don't know. Singer said it, so <laughs> yeah, I, I'm suspect of some things that attorneys say when they're advocating really? for their clients. <laughs> and in this case, it is a settlement offer. It is nothing more than. Litigation, civil litigation on issues of sexual harassment and sexual assault is a blood sport. It is not, it is not something anyone should engage in. And, and I tell my clients in these types of cases that you do not want to be part of that process. So if there is a way of resolving it short of litigation, you should resolve it short of litigation because the process does damage to you. So I and, think, and it's costly. And it's costly, right. and and it's and it's and it's harmful. So, if she was trying to resolve it prior to litigation, she was doing what exactly a person involved in the process who does not want to engage in a blood sport should do. And speaking of Cosby's response, aside from the pleading that's filed in response to Judy Huth's complaint, his response has been pretty much silence. So, you know, through his lawyer, he's had this very offensive uh, stance, like, how dare you? You know, I'm Dr. Huxtable. How dare you tarnish my reputation kind of thing. And he's also tweeted Whoopi Goldberg and Jill Scott, who had supported him on Twitter. But 
other than that, he's silent. So what can we make of his silence, Dan? What do you think? I don't think you can make anything of it. If I had a client, whether innocent or guilty, uh, I would probably tell him, unless he wants to have a full-scale national offensive, I would tell him or her, depending on the situation, to let the let let it blow over and then come out afterwards, and because the media has a short attention span, let it let it sort of wend its way through the process and then come out and present your side of it. Although in this case, I don't think he ever will, because these um, charges or allegations—I shouldn't say charges—these allegations go back years and years and years. They've come and gone through time, and he's always just stayed quiet. So I don't see that he's going to. But swapped stories with the National Enquirer and kind of. Kept it quiet. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this is his mo. He's right. not going to say anything now. He's not going to say anything later. Right. I agree. All right. So we all know Mark Wahlberg, actor, executive producer of Entourage, um, the old Calvin Klein underwear model who was grabbing his crotch, Marky Mark the rapper, um, and but. I think what a lot of us don't know about Mark Wahlberg that he used to be is that he used to be a thug on the streets of Dorchester, Massachusetts. So back in April of 1988, Mark Wahlberg was under the influence of drugs and alcohol, and he goes into a convenience store essentially to rob um, rob the guy of some booze. And um, the the man that was working at the store was Vietnamese. He hits him with a club and knocks him down unconscious. And in the course of running out of the store punches another Vietnamese man so hard in the face that the guy goes blind in one eye. And um, this is Mark Wahlberg. So I think the point of you saying that he was Vietnamese is because there were also racial epithets that were... Exactly. So he, uh, quote-unquote, said, Vietnamese fucking shit. And um, while the police were arresting him, he called both of them slant-eyed gooks. Now, uh, he was 16 at the time, but he was tried as an adult. And this was a permanent felony on his record. And now he's asking the governor of Massachusetts for a pardon. A pardon is essentially a Hail Mary pass that is signed off on by the governor of a state. So it's politically issued. However, it's hardly ever issued. It's a very, very rare gift. Well, before it goes to a governor, it goes to the board. A board. It goes to an advisory committee, and then it's recommended to the governor. And so I was curious. This prompted me to look at California. Um, and in the, the in the, agri- in the um, consolidated terms of Schwarzenegger, Pete Wilson, and Gray Davis, in 20 years, only 29 of them were, were signed off on. Out of and how many? Do you remember how many were asked? I don't know how many were requested, but, you know, they're regular people. People want that public recognition of their redemption. So I, I imagine there's hundreds and hundreds of them, but only 29 were issued in 20 years in Massachusetts, where Wahlberg is seeking a pardon. Uh, the last pardon that was issued was in 2002. So his chances are slim to none, because even when they are issued, um, they are for drug-related convictions, not for serious assaults that leave a man blind. Now, Or you're the son of like an outgoing governor. <laughs> right, right. Or a major contributor. <laughs> yeah. Um, then you really have done, you know, that's your certificate of rehabilitation right there. Um, so n- now he's saying, you know, I, this is to complete my transition into turning my life around. It's it's a really great message for um, at-risk youth to see that they, too, can turn their lives around and be forgiven uh, formally. Uh, but let's not forget also that he uh, is the owner with 
some of his family members of the restaurant chain Wahlburger. And he has also made a statement that he anticipates when they expand the chain in California and in neighboring states that he might run into some licensing issues because of this felony. So we don't know if this is for his business portfolio or really for, uh, uh, you know, about clearing his name. And, And does that matter why he's doing this? I think it matters less why mm-hmm. uh, and more that nobody else really gets to, so I'm not sure he should be able to. Now, if other people do and he does, fine. But I think the appearance of special treatment for a... Celebrity hotshot, ce- yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, part of the uh, reason, the criteria for a pardon is that you have shown that you have been... a very contributing member of society. And so he can cite all the millions that he's donated to various causes, but other people aren't able to do that. But that doesn't mean that they have turned their lives around any less. So I think they can't. Well, in, 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 in Massachusetts right now, there's three pardons pending the review by the governor who's on his way out in January. Two of them have to do with drug sales, uh, sale of marijuana, sale of crack cocaine. The third one is an assault, so it is a violent crime. But um, the the petitioner is very um, close with the DA's office there. They're supporting him because he has... And, you know, he's been involved in crime intervention and turning people, getting people off the streets and into the nation of Islam. And so he's, so at what point, I mean, what, what is enough rehabilitation? Do you need the backing of the DA's office or uh, some politician? Or is it enough to be volunteering and helping kids like Wahlberg has done? He's given a lot to the Boys and Girls Club. He's created a foundation for at-risk kids. He's volunteered for the Good Shepherd Homeless Shelter. He's donated more than $7 million to various uh, youth causes. But the point is, is that um, other people have done what they can, like you said, in, in rehabilitating themselves, and they've been turned down. So how fair is it to now open the door to a celebrity like Wahlberg? I, 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 see, I think that's judging it from the wrong direction. Angle. Because it doesn't matter. It's like when people... Uh, we're talking about when Obama set up his new presidential approach to immigration, and some people are saying, well, that I don't fall within it, so it's not fair that these people should mm-hmm. get it if I'm not getting it. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think that's the right analysis. I think the right analysis is, has he engaged in behavior that is worthy of rehabilitation? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the only question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he has. I mean, I, I, I sort, of think, sort of think in some ways it falls in the who cares category for Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is, is we should have a penal system that has a rehabilitative benefit. Mm-hmm. So that if you complete your, if you do your time for your crime and then you continue to have a wonderful life, there should be a benefit. And you shouldn't mm-hmm. have this something that took place when you're a 16 year old. And slightly nuts. Follow you through follow your through you mm-hmm. throughout your life. And mm-hmm. so what if he's applying for licenses here? He has done a incredible job of rehabilitating himself, and that should be rewarded. And it should stand out as an example to other people that if they do it, they can get the same result. Now, they're not all Mark Wahlbergs, but it but it we, we should reward rehabilitation. No, I, I and celebrities and non celebrities. Yes. Everybody yes. Um, um, uniformly. But, but I, I also I have an issue with what he's I think it's great what he's done, but 
Um, I can't believe that nobody's actually gone after the victim yet uh, to see what the victim's position is in this because he's lived a life essentially as a blind man. But my question is, is if I was Mark Wahlberg and I had all this money and I had all this all this, these resources to, to contribute and donate to society. Why not also, and, and knowing that I want to get a pardon, why not also maybe, um, give to the Vietnamese American community to, to specifically to youth in that community? And why not, you know, there's, I don't know if there was restitution ordered. I mean, I imagine if the guy went blind, there's some restitution order in place. Where is the talk of he paid full restitution? Or maybe he hasn't. Where is the apology to the victim? Because if I represented him and was filing his petition for a pardon, I, I would not only just back it up with all this volunteer work, but I would want it to be really geared towards that victim specifically. Yeah, and I understand well. he has not apologized to them. So right. I think that would be a big part, of, I mean, to seek somebody out and to face to face or you know however is appropriate for the victim to acknowledge them what they've been put through to get the, an, an apology i think should whenever it's possible be required mm-hmm. and the failure to do that may be grounds for denying the pardon uh, i mean and that seems to me an appropriate standard to deal with in determining whether but you've made the victim whole first right, yeah. right before you start giving to yeah. the community but i think that none of this is really going to um matter because even if a board wants recommends to the governor to pardon somebody mm-hmm. um and the governor uh, governors are going to be very reluctant to do it um Politics is really nasty, and when they're running for re-election or for another office, somebody's going to throw that in their face that this guy let it's off soft on crime. Yes, right. and so part of it comes back down to us as citizens that we demand such a tough stance and no forgiveness mm-hmm. and no redemption. Because if we as a society believed in rehabilitation and redemption, then we wouldn't buy into this, oh, this guy is soft on crime because he pardoned somebody who made a major mistake 30 years ago, but really has turned their life around. He would have been in good shape if he had committed this crime in California, because now with Jerry Brown, Jerry Brown has signed off like something like 341. Uh, don't quote me on the number, but it's it's up in the 300s since 2011 when he's been in office. So I think we're a better state for pardons at this point than maybe Massachusetts is. But Okay, moving on to our last topic of the day, revenge porn, which is also known as involuntary porn. It is part of our penal code. Uh, The law was enacted last year in October of 2013, and it prohibits people from posting um, photographs and videos of private body parts of their exes and people that initially they got these photographs from lawfully. in order to cause severe emotional distress and in order for a prosecutor to prove his case under the statute, the person has to actually suffer severe emotionally dis- emotional distress as well. So when the statute was passed, there was a lot of loopholes and there still are some issues with it. It doesn't cover, for instance, hackers. So if I go through Dan's phone and I get a bunch of naked pictures of him and then I post it on the internet, I'm not liable under the statute. Sorry, Dan. And also, <laughs> if I... 
Um, I'm a, a distributor, a redistributor. So these website operators who get these photographs and then milk the victims in order to take yeah. the photographs off the web, uh, they're also not liable under this statute. But, but they who- are civilly because just right. at the end of September, at least in California, uh, September 30th, the governor signed a civil statute mm-hmm. that if you intentionally uh, pass along these p- photos or even wreck distribute mm-hmm. these photos, you can be held civilly liable. And, you know, that costs money. So I mm-hmm. think people should and will think twice. But but for criminal liability, you definitely need specific intent to cause severe emotional distress. And um, when the statute was passed last year, when the law was passed, it also didn't cover selfies. So it mattered who the photographer was of, of these images and videos. Now selfies are covered. Last week, the Senate passed a bill that Jerry Brown's going to sign, I'm sure, um, that is, uh, that covers selfies as well. So now it doesn't matter who took the photos. It really, it, it really what it means, the statute is like, look, if you have an ex, as much as you hate their guts, you can't take their naked photos that were meant for you know, just the two of you. And the reason that this was in the news now is because California has got their first conviction under this law where a guy posted his ex-girlfriend's naked pictures on her employer's Facebook page uh, asking them to fire her. Right. So his intent's very clear right there. Uh, Whereas uh, to prove... uh, Liability under the statute, I think it's really difficult. And we were all talking about this before getting on on the air. You know, to show that a defendant had the intent to cause severe emotional distress, I mean, you almost need the admission of the defendant. But this case is so blatant that the city attorney's office in Los Angeles didn't have a hard time establishing intent. Um, This man got a year in county jail, which is the maximum term for a misdemeanor in California. Um, He'll probably do a couple weeks. He might be out by now. I don't know. But... (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, so this is interesting. And I think the moral of the story is, even if there's a law in place to protect you, next time you have a breakup, uh, grab the phone, grab the computer, take all the selfies out before you kick out the door. That's your lesson? I think so. My lesson is to keep not sending them. Well, you know, if people do, I mean, especially younger people, I think... It's kind of an immature thing to do, right? Well, to get you want to trust you know, somebody, but soon enough you'll figure out that trust is not best left to everyone. Very few people should have that kind of trust. That I mean, this is. It's I mean, very this law does personal. require it's very private. It does require um, an agreement between the parties that this the material be private between them. So it raises the issue of like, okay, if it was a porn star, I mean, that's the extreme, but if there was someone who maybe made a statement at some point and said, I don't care what you do with my photos, I just love taking them, you know, then of course you bring that in as evidence that they couldn't possibly be suffering severe emotional distress because they didn't care. Um, so that brings us to the end of our show today. Uh, thank you, Dan Stormer, so much for joining us here on Justice is Ster- Served. Let's keep the dialogue going during the week. Please find us on iTunes and on YouTube and post your comments and your feedback and your questions for us. And, of course, click like. And um, you can also contact us directly with your feedback and your questions. I can be emailed Sarah at AzariLaw.com or tweeted at AzariLaw. Twitter handle at Chelsea Galicia. Hatchelstormer.com. I'm sorry, what was that? Hatchelstormer, H-A-D-S-E-L-L, stormer.com. Great. On the web. So thanks for tuning in. See you next week right here on Justice is Served. 
From producers Maria Menounos, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.